Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, episode number 134. With Kristen Holmes, the VP of Performance Science with WHOOP, a wearable personal health and fitness coach that measures sleep, strain, and recovery that was listed number one in wellness with Fast Company's 2020 Most Innovative Companies. Welcome back. I'm Andrea Samadhi, a former educator who's been fascinated with understanding the science behind high performance strategies in school, sports, and the workplace for the past 20 years. If you've been listening to our podcast, you'll know that we've uncovered that if we want to improve our social and emotional skills and experience success in our work and personal lives, it all begins with an understanding of our brain. And we've uncovered the top five brain health and Alzheimer's prevention strategies that we covered on episode 87 that took us in the direction of health and wellness with a focus on sleep, exercise, and nutrition as being important for brain health and optimizing personal and professional results. We even went to Dr. Daniel Amen's clinic in California for a brain scan to see what we could learn about further optimizing our brain health and sleep emerged as an area of weakness for me, along with some other areas we're still working on optimizing. The powerful part of hosting this podcast is that as I'm interviewing guests and learning, sharing their advice, I'm actually implementing these ideas myself as I share them with you. When I was introduced to Kelly Roman from Fisher Wallace Laboratories with his wearable medical device to help improve sleep while reducing anxiety and depression, I immediately jumped at the opportunity to learn more, knowing that I needed help in this area specifically with sleep. I had no idea how much this device would help me to create more balance in my life, and my review of the Fisher Wallace device has risen to my most downloaded episodes with over 1200 downloads beating out episode number 68, which was the neuroscience of personal change. This showed me that while there's an interest in creating personal change and understanding how to connect practical neuroscience to our daily lives, it shouldn't come at the expense of our personal health and well-being. Since May is Mental Health Awareness Month and many experts like Dr. Daniel Amen consider brain health to be at the root of mental health, we'll continue to dive deeper into ways to improve our own personal health and well-being. Which brings me to today's guest, Kristen Holmes. She's the VP of Performance Science with WHOOP, whose PhD work is in multi-level interactions of stress and circadian behavior. I'll put a link in the show notes that shares a new study released on this topic that describes the science behind the best lights to affect sleep, mood, and learning. You can find her on LinkedIn and Instagram to learn more. And I did see some fascinating photos showing me how passionate she is about health, well-being, fitness, athletics, with all the mentors she's had along the way to bring her to where she is today. I first came across Kristen while researching heart rate variability for episode number 125, where I started to see how important heart rate variability was for tracking health, recovery, and resilience. I found the WHOOP podcast hosted by Will Ahmed, and it featured Kristen Holmes and Emily Capalupo, and I was captivated with what I learned. 
so captivated that I decided to join the Whoop community myself, which means that I can use the device for the amount of time that I want to be a member. So I joined for a year, but can't imagine giving up this tool after just a month of use. And I wanted to have Kristen to come on the podcast to help me to further explore the benefits of using this device that appears to have been built with pro athletes in mind and for those who just want to improve their personal and professional performance. I'm looking forward to learning and sharing the benefits of the WHOOP device, what they're learning with the WHOOP data, and diving into what I've uncovered after just one month of measuring my sleep, heart rate variability, daily strain, and recovery. Let's meet Kristen Holmes, the VP of Performance Science from WHOOP. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for being so quick to agree to come on the podcast to help me to learn more about the data using the WHOOP device. But before I get to the questions, you know, we were just talking before I was researching you. I found you on Instagram and I was just blown away seeing your passion for health, wellness, athletics, and all the mentors you've had in your life. Before we get into WHOOP, could you just give a bit of background of what led you to WHOOP? Definitely. Uh, yeah, so I, I've been uh, kind of athletics and coaching uh, and, and definitely, you know, the academic work around psychology and physiology has been really core to uh, my life for as long as I've known. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, I think my, you know, my, uh, w the work I do now at, at WHOOP is all uh, very related, but prior to coming to WHOOP, I was at Princeton University. I was the head coach there of the field hockey team for 13 seasons and was definitely uh, very into technology uh, as a way to kind of understand the volume and intensity that my athletes were undergoing during training sessions. And, um, and I started to, to really uh, go pretty deep and uh, upon realizing that it was more than just the volume and intensity that I was putting on during training session that actually influenced their capacity to to show up to all the different things, all the different demands in, in their life. It was really the other 22 hours that they were away from me that was more influential. So I started, uh, you know, building my own technology uh, at Princeton. Uh, that was, you know, kind of in, in some ways similar, you know, to, to Whoop in terms of what it was trying to understand was, you know, is really what is what is happening over the course of the day um, that influences your ability to show up. And, and at Whoop, we measure that in the, in the form of recovery. I was looking at it in the form of readiness, um, but, you know, kind of taking in similar inputs. But so really what led me to, to WHOOP was just trying to answer these questions around humor performance that were, that have always vexed me as an athlete, um, you know, trying to show up with, uh, with as much, you know, mental and physical capacity as possible and, and wanting to adapt to all the stimulus I was putting on my body in, in the most functional way. You know, the, these are questions in, in the area of human performance that haven't really, uh, the, the, you know, as, as you know, even just five years ago, haven't really, haven't really been solved uh, in a, in a, in any sort of elegant way um, and, and useful way. So, uh, you know, that was really what drew me to to Whoop was was how they were thinking about it and and how far ahead they were, frankly, of um, you know from where I was in, in building my technology. So I, I decided to join forces and um, you know see if I couldn't help the mission. I love it. And I saw something that you said, it's what you're doing in your spare time that gives you your competitive advantage. I'm like, yes. You speak I know. My I, language. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say that a lot. You know, I, I work a ton with, you know, surgical teams and tactical athletes and professional athletes, you know, these really high stake environments, um, high risk in, in many ways. And 
um, you know, that's kind of the cross that they bear is, is, is not really, you know, how they're engaging their craft. It's, it's really, it's how they're spending their downtime, you know, and, and that's, that's the sacrifice, frankly, is, you know, are, are you, are you drinking alcohol in your downtime? Are you finding ways to get sleep? Are you engaging in, you know, non-sleep deep rest protocols, uh, you know, to try to create more balance between kind of your, your, you know, to, to balance out the kind of stress that you're incurring, you know, during when you're engaged in your craft, like, you know, are you fueling properly? Are you hydrating properly? Are you are finding time for exercise and, and meditation? And, you know, that's, that's really the, I think in, in some ways the cross that we are all bear, but, but I think that's, if we have interest in, in being engaged and present uh, in our life for the things that matter, uh, those things matter. <laughs> so, and, and to pretend that they don't is, is, you know, I feel like, you know, missing an opportunity really. Definitely. And, and as I'm learning more about whoop, and so I go to the website and I look and I see all these pro athletes, like Justin <laughs> Thomas, pro golfer. And I'm thinking, is this really for me? I'm seeing Sue Bird, three times uh, women's NBA champion, gold medalist, and they're all holding up their arms with their whoop device. And, and I'm, then I saw, I actually interviewed this guy. He's a former vascular surgeon. He built his career mm. helping others to achieve peak performance. And he held up his arm in the interview and he said, Andrea, I measure everything and so did I or I thought I did until I saw whoop but you know could you just give me an idea of why somebody like me who's not a pro athlete would benefit from using the whoop device yeah I mean I think it relates to kind of what I just said you know it's really I think if if you if you want to you know live with your values with as much energy and uh you know, and, and joy as, as, as possible, you know, there are some kind of non-negotiables that you need to be considering. Uh, and, and one of those is sleep. And the other, in, in my opinion, is, is understanding how to balance your cardiovascular load and your recovery, right. Or your recovery and your cardiovascular load. And really those are the things that the three things that we, we measures, um, is, you know, strain your cardiovascular load, recovery, your capacity to take on strain and, and sleep. And, and to me, those are, those are really non-negotiables if you're, if you're a human being, right? Like if you don't understand that, um, then, you know, you're, you're really just guessing honestly. And, and, and that's where I think that's the opportunity. I mean, I've always seen technology as, as really an opportunity to foster human performance, right. And, and really, and, and foster well-being and thriving. And, um, you know, so I think if we take, I think we say human performance and we think athletes, but this is anyone, you know, it's really anyone on earth, on this earth who is, who's interested in, in living their, 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 you know, potential, um, you know, probably needs to be measuring some things. Right. And, and like I said, you know, I, I think we, we, we measure really the fundamentals. Um, and I think it, it does start with sleep. Um, so I'm anxious to talk about your data, Andrea, um, as it relates to sleep, because <laughs> I know, Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, I know. But, yeah. So, so I, I do think, you know, at, at, our, at the core, I, I think this is really for, for anyone who, who wants to, to figure out how to uh, really uh, measure the, the things that um, I think are going to help them ad adapt to external stress in the most functional way possible. That's really what Whoop guides you toward the insights. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I mentioned that I actually came across you guys when I was researching for a podcast on heart rate variability. And I saw your yeah. podcast and I actually bought like bought my membership because I wanted to measure my heart rate variability, thinking that, oh, this this will be a great tool for me. And then right in front of my eyes was the data that you noticed 
that actually um, I know it showed up on my brain scan with Dr. Daniel Amen, um, my mm. the guy that did my brain scan evaluation. Dr. Creato was a sleep specialist for pro athletes, mm. and he said, "Andrew, wow. your brain looks sleep deprived." And yeah, like, really, it does. I had no idea. <laughs> I, I know. Well, that's the sneaky thing. We can't perceive our own cognitive physical declines. Like that's very well studied, right? Like we, right. and you know, that's been replicated over and over again is that we, we literally don't know. And, and that's why when you ask me the question, why, why would we be interested in monitoring and understanding our, our sleep? That's exactly the reason is right. most of us don't know. And frankly, most people are walking around with significant sleep debt. And as a result, they have literally just adapted to a lower level of functioning without even knowing it. Like okay. to me, like that is, that's my, that's my whole raison d'etre. That's the exact, the only, the reason I'm, I'm on this earth and my right. reason for being is to help people kind of recognize that there is, there is a, an awakened version. Um, and then this is it. Well, so, so my next question was about like, what to expect in the first 30 days. And I thought, yeah. I'm just here to measure heart rate variability. I was all excited. Like, I'm going yeah. to have like great heart rate variability because I work out <laughs> so hard. And, and then I was like, wait, wait, what's going on? I'm not recovered. It's telling me I can't exercise. I, like my past two weeks have been so weird. Kristen, like I've been sitting here looking at my, my whoop going, I'm, I'm like at the max of strain. Like, what do you mean? Cause I use exercise to self-regulate, to be able to sit yeah. at my desk and write my podcast. I don't yep. know what other way to do it. So I, I guess I have to find other strategies because I did not run today. I was like, I got to my desk early, but what can we expect in the first 30 days? I, I was blown away. Yeah, well, I, I think to, to, to back up there, I, I think we forget that um, heart rate variability is not just a measure of, you know, your cap capacity to, in the way we think about it for, you know, our recovery metric basically takes in to account. It's the score on, you know, from zero to hundred. I don't know how much pre, you know, work you'll do on just educating folks on what exactly it is. So I'll just do a quick overview of what recovery is before I dig in to start talking about it. Recovery is on a scale of zero to hundred. Um, zero to 33, you're in the red. That means your body, um, you know, and a user would wake up in the morning. They'd see either a red score, a yellow score, or a green score. Um, red score zero to 33, 34 to 66 is yellow, 67 to 100 is green. And that's basically an indication of how well you're coping with external stress. Okay, so you kind of wake up and it takes in not just heart rate variability. We do weight that the heavy, heaviest um, for a lot of reasons I could get into in terms of from the scientific lens, physiological lens, but um, heart rate variability, resting heart rate, your sleep. So how much you needed versus what you actually got um, and your respiratory rate. So there's the four inputs that go into whoop recovery. And our algorithm goes back in after you wake up, cherry picks the your final five minutes, last episode of Slow of Sleep. And that's when we measure your resting heart rate variability. And we measure your resting heart rate. And then we calculate your need versus what you got for your sleep performance. We average your respiratory rate over the course of the night. And that is your recovery score. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so you wake up and you see the score. So what we often, we, we tend to think about this recovery score in, in the terms of it just measuring our physiological capacity, right? Um, what we can physically take on. But it, it's actually just as strong an estimator of what's happening psychologically. So your psychological stress and your physiological stress will both manifest 
in your autonomic nervous system. And I'll do this in, you know, the physiology in less than one minute, but I think it's really important to understand is that, you know, your, your autonomic nervous system is broken into two branches, your parasympathetic and your sympathetic, and they're both competing to send signals to the heart. The more recovered you are, the more responsive your heart will be to both demands of the autonomic nervous system. The less recovered you are, the less responsive. So imagine trying to react and run from a tiger when you, you when your heart rate variability is really low or your whoop recovery is really low. You will not be as responsive to that stress as if you were highly primed to adapt to that stress, i.e. you've got lots of variability. So the more variability between heartbeats, the more capable you are of adapting to external stress. And this is relationship stress. This is financial stress. This is um, maybe, you know, eating a meal that's not great. Like it, the more, you know, uh, recovered you are, the, the more your system is going to be able to adapt to it. Okay. Um, so it's not just the running that you did. In fact, the running probably has nothing, has very, very little to do with next day capacity. And I could talk to the data around that. It's more to do with these other stressors in your life, the hydration, the fueling, psychological stress, you know, just how you're dealing with your, your day. Are you mitigating, you know, negative stress throughout the day in a proactive way? Do you have a strategy around that? How, what is your relationship with light? Light behavior is one of the most, you know, non-negotiable fundamental things um, in terms of our, you know, making sure we have, you know, really strong circadian alignment that has downstream, you know, implications across every biological process, but not many folks think about the correlation between light behavior and our capacity to adapt, i.e. our recovery, right? So anyway, th these are, so it's, it's not just this single data point that, you know, influences your capacity or, you know, what your recovery is going to be when you wake up, but um, it's actually kind of a whole host of things. Got it. So could we look at my data and see what? Yeah. <laughs> I have it okay. So, <laughs> so there isn't a linear relationship. I just want to be clear between sleep and recovery. That said, <laughs> sleep is really important. Okay. And I see when I look at your sleep, um, you are definitely not spending enough time in bed mm -hmm. um, based on, on what whoop says you need. So whoop says, and, and what you've done here, what's happened here is you've accumulated sleep debt, okay? And that kind of carries over from night to night and kind of adds up. Um, it will decay over time as you start to get closer to meeting your sleep need, it will start to minimize. But there's a direct relationship, and actually I'm finishing a study with um, 100 CEOs over in Australia, and these results are preliminary, um, so they are not, not published data but we see a relationship between sleep debt and executive functioning, working memory and mental agility, mm -hmm. okay? So you have accumulated heaps of sleep debt. So mm -hmm. if you go into Sleep Need, Andrea, on your Whoop app, um, tell me how much sleep, so click on, go to the sleep performance page. Yep. Click on Sleep Need, the green button. Yep. And tell me on the, in the right-hand corner, tell me what your sleep need says. So my sleep debt or my or sleep debt, sorry, your my, sleep, my debt, sorry. sleep debt is an hour and 30 minutes. Okay. So when I'm working with anyone in, you know, kind of high stakes environment who want to perform really well, um, we say we want to keep this below 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm positive eight minutes on mine. Of course. I know. So, but, but no, but you know, I've been at this for a, for right. a while, but, but I know 
from the data, I know the implications, right? Like, you know, I would just be a less, uh, you know, it's already hard to perform, right? <laughs> and function is, at a high level. I don't need any more handicaps. <laughs> exactly. And now this is me trying. I'm using the Fisher Wallace sleep device that's given me okay. a half hour since March. I've been using it since Good. March. It's given Good. me an extra half hour. My only so, weird thing yep. is like how early I get up just because I'm in Arizona and we exercise early morning before it gets hot. So I'm thinking maybe I don't need to exercise every day. I'm 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 making changes. Trust me. This yeah. Is well, um, you know, early rise shouldn't do it. It's just you got to go to bed. You got to go to bed earlier, right? Mm -hmm. If you're gonna, so you know, I start winding down at eight thirty. I'm in, yeah. I'm in my bed at nine. You know, at at by eight forty five, I'm I'm reading. I'm writing. I'm you know journaling. I'm doing some breath work. And I'm asleep by nine twenty. And I wake up, you know, five twenty. Um, and that's pretty much my my schedule. Um, I use the morning. Um, I, I have a really firing on all cylinders, cylinders mentally, you know, in the morning. So I, I literally pound out, you know, work from six to nine. Um, and then I'll, you know, take some meetings. Um, and then I, I usually work out around, you know, anywhere between 12 and, and 2 p.m. Um, and then, you know, a couple more external meetings and then I, you know, kind of wind down in the afternoon. But, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I think, I, I think it's really understanding Number one, you know, if you are early riser, you just need to go to bed sooner, right? And and, and coordinate your schedule um, to ensure that that happens, because uh, you need to spend sufficient amount of time in bed. Because because what happens when we short when we have short sleep, which is really what you have, Andrea, um, you are spending a, an average about five hours and forty seven minutes in bed. Um, you know, really anything less than seven hours a night, you're kind of operating almost, you know, uh, uh analogous to like being cognitively drunk essentially <laughs> you know but, Credo said yeah and but right right but but what's insane is that you're are you're just a really high functioning human right like you're you're elite but just think what you might be leaving on the table right by by not meeting the the sleep need and this isn't to make anyone anxious like this is just about okay like i need i'm just going to use these data to understand where i need to to shore up right and and you need to start by spending more time in bed Got it. so um, and, you know, stabilizing the other thing I want you to click on for me, um, you know, you've, you've got an hour and a half of sleep debt, right? We got to, we got to try to really work to get that down. And I would say the goal for you, if I were working with you, uh, let's get that under, under 30 minutes, we'd be working toward that over the next six weeks to try to, you know, decrease that sleep debt and get you to under 30 minutes. Cause we see a direct relationship in the studies that I've done with collegiate athletes. We see direct relationship between sleep debt and injury and illness burden. So, you know, the, the more sleep that you have, literally the more, not only is your working memory and executive functioning and mental acuity compromised, but you, you also um, are more susceptible, your just system is more vulnerable, right? And there's lots of external research to support this, but we see that in, in our data as well. Um, go ahead and click on time in bed for me. So go to your seven day overview, the, the, actually the screenshot that you sent me. And in the right hand corner, you're gonna see time in bed. And I want you to click on that for me. So my overview, my weekly. So you're going to swipe up from the sleep performance page and you'll see a seven day average. Oh, I see bedtime variability. Yep, exactly. So this is your, your sleep consistency and you want this to be as stable as possible. Okay. Cause one of the things that you'll be able to, one of the things that we've seen in our data is the more stable, well, I guess I could just, I could tell you this. So we're, we're doing um, a COVID resilience project um, with Dr. Chuck Seisler, who's, you know, one of the preeminent sleep scientists in, in the world. Um, and we looked at the pre-pandemic 
uh, data. So right prior to lockdown, three months of data. And then we looked at the three months after, and we wanted to see if there were any behaviors that predicted resilience. And resilience is measured by an increase, you know, heart rate variability increases relative to baseline and decreases um, and heart, resting heart rate decreases relative to baseline. And that's basically just your, your cardiovascular health, right? That's a snapshot of your cardiovascular health. So the data before uh, lockdown, the data after, the one behavior that predicted physiological resilience was the extent to which the user went to bed and, and woke up at regular times. So sleep consistency was the canary in the coal mine for resilience. And we see this, I, you know, this is something that I've seen in, in the data since I arrived at WHOOP in 2016, looking across all these really high stakes environment. It seemed that the individuals who were least likely to get injured, least likely to get sick, and the ones who really performed at higher level relative to their potential were the individuals who had really stable sleep wake time. And this makes from a circadian, you know, rhythm perspective, this makes all the sense in the world, right? Because if the more stable that sleep wake time is, generally speaking, the more stable you are interacting with light upon awakening, which is going to stabilize your cortisol pulse, that cortisol release, which is going to signal to your body that it's time to be alert. So all sorts of wonderful downstream effects, you know, begin to happen off of that. And then the other big piece to this stable sleep-wake timing is that it drives your time in deeper stages of sleep. So that's the other piece that I wanted to look at, Andrea, that I don't have a, a visual on is just how much time you're spending in the deeper stages of sleep. So if you go into, um, your, the sleep performance page and you click on hours of sleep. It's a good thing I have the app memorized in my head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yep. um, you're going to, I want you to tell me um, how much time awake it says you have and then your REM and soy of sleep. So time in bed disturbances, efficiency. And then below that, you'll see a staging feature where um, you'll see light sleep, awake, slow wave and REM. No, I don't see that. I just, oh, I see awake. It's, oh, 44. It's grayed out though. Like it's showing, okay. oh, do I, oh, I click on it. Got it. Awake is yeah. 44 minutes. Okay. Light is three hours, 41. REM okay. one hour, 47 and deep 43 minutes. Okay. So generally speaking, you want to be spending about 40 to 45 minutes in, um, um, in, in the deeper stages of sleep. So of the amount of time you're spending in bed, you want 45% of that time to be in deeper stages of sleep. So you're missing that you're probably at 30%, right? Just doing the rough math. Um, you know, 44 minutes of awake isn't, isn't, isn't terrible, but um, most of our, like the best sleepers on our platform are, you know, around 15 minutes or less. Um, so, you know, I average about nine minutes of, of awake time. All right. And then the rest is spent light. And then these deeper stages of sleep and, and light sleep gets like a bad rap, but light sleep is really important transition time. Um, and, uh, but, but light sleep, but slow sleep and REM are obviously where the physical regeneration happens. Um, you know, the rates of human growth form, which obviously is really central to recovery. Um, you know, and then REM is, is obviously the memory consolidation and all, you know, the, the mental recovery. So, you know, these time in these deeper stages is really important. So when we, again, when we come back to this question, why do I need to know these things? Well, if you're not spending enough time in these deeper stages of sleep, you're, you know, more prone to cognitive decline, right? You will decline cognitively faster. You are more susceptible to neurogenerative diseases. Um, you know, there's a whole host of 
problems, right? You're more susceptible to injury, to illness, right? If we're not in these restorative stages. So it's not just about, I think we think, oh, if I just spend eight hours in bed, I'm fine. Well, you're, you're actually not. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's really the quality of your sleep and consistency of your sleep that really is the most important thing to, to kind of zone in on. And then to just understand, okay, what are the, what are the factors during the day that actually influence my ability to get into these deeper stages of sleep? Right. So not only is that behavior of sleep, wake timing really important, but there's other behaviors that begin the moment you wake up that influence your ability to, to, to fall asleep at night. And then to stay in a state of sleep where you're accessing these deeper stages. Got it. Right. So that's kind of how we need to start to, for people to think about it. And it really does begin with our interactions with, you know, lightness and dark. And, and, and I don't, I, I, it's just not, I don't know why, but it's not talked about enough. And this is really the, um, you know, as I mentioned, this is the, you know, kind of the, um, my, uh, my PhD, my doctoral work is, is really around, you know, circadian biology and, and just our, the influence of, of light and dark and, and, you know, how it impacts our physical, mental, and, um, you know, emotional, uh, well-being. And so it's, you know, if we want to, you know, fall asleep at night, we need to get in the sunshine. Uh, and, and even if it's cloudy out, you need to get outside within 20 minutes of waking up, you know, view the, view the sky at a low so, solar angle. Um, you know, it's the only, it's not your skin. It's, it's your retinas, right? That's the only way to cue your brain that it's time to be alert as, as you know, very well. Um, uh, but this is an important behavior that we need to start to adopt if we want to stabilize our sleep wake timing. And, and we want our body to know that it is actually time to be awake. Similarly, when the sun is setting, at night, we want to also view the skyline, you know, for five, six minutes. So we can start to, we can tell our body that, oh, it's time to start winding down. It's time to be calm. Um, and again, that signal sends all sorts of, you know, information, you know, to our body that, you know, tells us that it's time to start to wind down. Um, and that will signal, you know, our light in the morning is going to signal is actually going to tell our body when to release melatonin, you know, when we need to be sleepy. So again, that, that interaction is, is really important. This is fascinating. Thank you so much for that snapshot. I, I definitely yeah. know that it's improving since, you know, since I started looking at this and, and as I'm it. hearing this, it's like you, you go deeper and I just learned a few more features of the app clicking through. I didn't know yeah. I had the ability to go that deep, but thanks for that. Awesome. Yeah. 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 If you click on any of these, um, like when you're in that seven day, you can click on sleep performance and you, that that's its default. So you kind of see um, you know, the percentage of time that you're spending. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. That's your homepage. So yeah. if you go back to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. but if you click on any of those little, uh, features, so time versus, oh. uh, hours versus sleep and then time in bed, you get, you know, different visuals. Um, and then same sort of same thing with, uh, recovery and same thing with strain. You can kind of click on the little, uh, you know, daily, the daily value or the weekly, sorry, averages to kind of get a, a different graph to see, um, you know, kind of, kind of where you sit. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Got it. So I saw my daily strain was 14 today, so I didn't do any more. So I thought that's it. Even though wow. it, so did we it, well, it wasn't even that intense. I go hiking in the morning. So when I got back, I looked at it and it said, no, you've reached your max. So I was thinking like, is this like 14 is a good daily strain? I shouldn't do any more, even though I'm dying to still go running. I know it's, it's all based on your capacity, right? So, um, you wake up and what was your recovery today? 
So it was low. It was 54, even though I had. Okay. A well, that's, that's, sleep. yeah, that's, that's not too low. Yeah. So that it's, it's so sleep and recovery. Like I said, there, there isn't always a, a linear relationship there. So even though you might have good sleep and you might be spending time in bed, maybe you didn't spend you know, as much time in deeper stages of sleep. So that restoration, uh, you know, you didn't quite restore in the way that you needed to. I also see that, you know, your strain is always a lot higher than your recovery. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it's not just the physical output. Um, it, it's often how you're caring for the, the psychological side as well. So do you do, do you engage in, in breath work or, you know, cold or hot or what kind of recovery modalities do you engage in across the day? So about half hour to 40 minutes of meditation first thing. So that's what I do when I first wake up when okay. I'm the brain stimulator, I do the meditation at the same time. Okay. Which brain cylinder do you use? The Fisher Wallace. The Fisher Wallace. Okay, nice. Huh. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, meditation can be a bit nonspecific. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think uh breath work um can be um a bit more specific. Um, and we're doing research with Stanford University right now, kind of unpacking this, trying to create a bit of a taxonomy on um on uh, around a different breathing protocols because there really is not a lot of literature out there that that tells you okay if I want to be calm what do I need to do if I want to be alert or I want to increase my calmness I want to increase my alertness like what what is the actual method um, I should engage in and I, I can say that um, you know if you want to increase your calmness um, the physiological sigh is is one that we found to be uh, really efficacious so that's a double inhale and a longer exhale so. <sighs> And you do that for many cycles, and um, and that is a sure way to activate the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. So really, bring you down. Um, and I think too, like it's hard to control the mind with the mind, right? And and that's essentially what you're trying to do when you meditate, right. <laughs> which is hard, which is hard as hell. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but but with with breathing, you get this incredible effect of activating the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. Um, you know, you you get that that calmness. You're um, you know, increasing your adaptive capacity, right? It should influence next day recovery in a, in a positive way. Um, so, yeah. So I think going back to kind of some of these tools that we know um, are a surefire way to activate the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system is, is really good. Um, it's hard to really think about anything when you're breathing other than your breath. So mm-hmm. there, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of promise, I think with that. Um, and then the other technique that has been shown and really it, when you look at the literature is the most efficacious in mediating heart rate variability is resonance, resonance frequency breathing. Um, so again, if you're really trying to improve heart rate variability and improve recovery and improve your sleep at night and reduce anxiety, resonance frequency breathing is literally the way to go. <laughs> and it's, there's this uh, mountain of literature. Um, it treats all sorts of symptoms. Um, and then, and also gets to systemic, you know, underlying kind of physiological problems as well. Um, so just depending on what you want to do, not to say meditation, you not say you should not do it. Of, of course, meditation has, has so many wonderful benefits. And, um, but in terms of mediating heart variability, those are the techniques that um, we know from from the research that we've engaged in and, and the research that exists in the literature to date that those are the, the two most efficacious protocols. 
Love it. And that's why I do the podcast to learn something new because something <laughs> doing for a long time might not be working and affecting my results. So, you know, I'm just so thankful for your time today. We're kind of getting close to our half an hour. Um, yeah. Just to close out, what's your vision for, for WHOOP and, you know, what are you looking to do as VP of Performance Science? Yeah. So my, my goal, well, I, a lot of the work that I've done over the last year and a half is really up research. How do we need, we want to improve our HRV, want to sleep better. What are the behaviors that we can do that are democratically available? Um, people don't have to pay stuff, you know, but that they can they can just engage in these behaviors. They're free, um, and they can improve their um, their outcomes. Right? They can live their values with more joy and energy and be more present, and engaged. Which, again, I think at the core, that's why we're tracking this stuff. Right? Is because we want want to do those things. Um, so for me, I, I'd love to be able to build some of these protocols I just referenced into the app, so our members have access to the um, the kind of protocols that that we know from the research are the most efficacious. Like we don't have a gazillion hours in the day, right? Like I, you know, I, um, for me, like I, I want to do what's, I want to spend as little time, frankly, on these recovery protocols. Like I want to be with my family. I want to be with my people I love and I want to be out doing the things I want to do. And um, so for me, I want to, I want to understand exactly the, the efficacy of these modalities. I want to know what the protocols are. I want to have access to them in the Whoop app, and then I want to be done with it, and I want to go on and live my life. <laughs> so Love that it. is that is my vision. <laughs> Love it. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, for diving deep into my Whoop results, speaking with me today to you know really see how we can work on sleep and recovery. I was so captured when I heard you speaking on the Whoop podcast, and. I am always looking for women who take a leadership role in this area of performance science. So thank you so much for your leadership in this area. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Andrea. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.